1: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 128 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. However, this week we're going to deviate a little bit from our normal schedule to talk with Matt Edwards, a loan officer with USA Mortgage here in Dayton, Ohio. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're to have you. Yeah. So obviously, you know, Matt and I have been saying for a while now that we wanted to dedicate a few podcasts to the housing market because housing's been such a hot topic here lately. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we wanted to have someone on in the mortgage industry to give us some insight as to how things work for those who might not necessarily understand it. Yeah. Um, so I guess just to start off, Matt, can you talk about how you got started in the industry? What led you to your position you are in today? as a loan officer. And then for those who aren't familiar with what a loan officer does, can you just explain your day to day job responsibilities? Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I just kind of fell into
2: it. It just, it was just a fluke. Someone told me I'd be good at talking to people and I should try this. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and I mean, after six months of just really studying the industry and, and getting to know what it was, I guess my numbers were so impressive at the time that they actually gave me a branch to run out in Las Vegas. So, and I had a team of 40 loan officers out there and it's kind of took it from there. So I've been doing it since 2003, been through the meltdown, the rate compression we had about six years ago. And now we're in this madness we're in right now, but that's really it. Um, really, it's, it started out as something interesting and something new to do. And it really turns into just a passion for people really, because it's really what it is. it is. It's just a service. Um, That you provide but a passion for people and something that's not monotonous. It's it's a new challenge every single day every single client presents something different. So and it's this industry is ever changing. Mm -hmm. Um, Our guidelines are constantly changing every quarter, sometimes every month,
1: every week. So you just it just keeps you on your toes. Yeah, we feel mm-hmm. your pain from that standpoint. For us it's the regulatory environment that's just constantly changing. Tightening and obviously up. after oh seven and oh eight, a regulatory environment mm-hmm. changed for you guys too, yeah. right? Yeah. Went from the wild, wild west to like an Amish community. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, overnight it felt so, like Yeah, yeah, it did. So I gotta ask, why the move if you were living out in Vegas, why the move to boring old Dayton, Ohio? Because the real estate market in Dayton, Ohio, doesn't
2: crash like yeah. other places do. Okay. Um, so everyone knows what happened out west. It kind of happened out there first. Uh, property values and the market was climbing, 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 just straight up. There was no no angle to it. It was straight up. And when it went down, it went straight down. Whereas in Ohio, it was just creeping up slowly. Even in the madness out west on the east coast, it just gradually went up. So in the crash here in Ohio, it just kind of leveled out. or went down slightly. So... The move back to Ohio was because of that. Also, this is this is home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are families at. Yeah, it is. Ohio's where the heart is, right? And that's right. What the license plate says, Yeah, yeah exactly. That's true. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So what do you so for those that aren't familiar with it? What do you do for clients on a day to day basis? What is your role within the mortgage industry? So once once somebody fills out
2: an application, they want to start the house hunt really a licensed loan officer like myself and the people on my team and everyone in our company Our job is to find which program fits that client's needs the best. Um, We're not a one size fits all. You're not going to walk into our office and see a board that says, here's your interest rate. Um, That really pigeonholes you into being only able to handle a certain type of client. Whereas we are, we assist everybody. So we have to have multiple programs. We have to be familiar with the guidelines of all the programs that are available in this state, whichever state we operate in. So really that's our job. It's, Seeing someone's qualifications, criteria, what budget they want to work with, and finding out what program fits their needs for how much money they want to pay out of pocket, what payment do they want to have, um, and since all the regulation changes after 0708, you don't benefit by placing someone into a, a particular loan program. That used to be something that was incentivized. You put someone in this program, you get paid more. Mm. That's gone. That's, that's right. something that you can lose your license for. So, really, it is just the best interest of the client. That's that's what we do. We have to find what best fits them and is going to serve them short term and long
1: term. Right. So in my words, you know, it used to be, you know, every client would fit in what Matt and I call like a cookie cutter model where Mm -hmm. you're it's almost like in the investment world where a decade ago, people or advisors were pushing products to get paid the most and not necessarily doing what's in the best interest of Mm -hmm. the client. So we can we can attest to the similarities Mm -hmm. of that.
2: Oh, yeah. Yes.
3: Oh, yeah. So Matt, the next question that Mark and I kind of prepared is, you know, you know, majority's opinion is that people should wait for the housing market to calm down or wait for prices to fall before purchasing a new home. You know, what's your opinion on this?
2: I was, these are the same people that complain and say that 2% interest is too high. You (laughs) know, how many times have we said this in the podcast? (laughs) Right, right. How many times have we said this in the podcast? And and a lot of these people are the same people that were jumping on board at 9, 10% mortgage rates back in the day. Mm -hmm. So I waiting around all you end up doing is paying more um if you're waiting for a crash to happen then you're not gonna be buying a property then anyway mm-hmm. so I, I always tell people um, especially right now there isn't going to be a crash i don't foresee a crash taking place like it did before <clears throat> there were too many artificial factors that were in place back in 0708. You had appraisers being controlled by the actual lenders and the lenders were telling them how much to appraise a property for (laughs) you don't you don't have things like that taking place anymore Um, appraisers are doing a very good job controlling the market a lot of appraisals come in short because they're trying to keep it in check Um, guidelines aren't as aren't as loose as they were back then you actually have to show that you have a job and make money and a Mm -hmm. pulse so it's it's a completely different world. So we're not going to see that crash. I think what we're seeing right now is a true housing shortage. And because of inflation, you have landlords that are charging record amounts for rent. So it's going to continue to drive people into purchasing a home. So all these people sitting around waiting for a cool down or a crash, it's it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Matt, when
3: we look at the raw data, we talked about this in the podcast before, I think 60 or 70% of all mortgage originations have a credit score above 750. Yes. You know, these aren't the people, in, in our opinions, that mm-hmm. are going to walk away from a property like they did mm-hmm. in 08 and 09. Correct. Right? Yeah. And I think there's just a lot more fundamentals. Another thing that kind of comes to mind is in the 90s and 2000s, so many people were funding their lifestyle off of home equity lines of credit with yes. the gains they saw in real estate mm-hmm. prices.
2: From the raw data, I'm really not seeing that. Would you agree with that statement? 100%. And part of that are because of guideline changes and just the restrictions. And you shouldn't be able to borrow 125% of the value of your house to pay off credit cards or to go gamble. Mm -hmm. And that's what was happening before.
3: So they literally, in the 2000s, I've heard this, Mm -hmm. they would let you borrow more than the value of the house. Mm -hmm. That's insanity. And not provide a pay stub.
1: Yeah.
2: And not prove your income. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So those those are gone. The average credit credit score is up. The criteria are a lot stronger. So you do have higher quality credit borrowers and income borrowers purchasing homes right now. There are programs for a lot of first-time home buyers where you are allowed to have lower credit scores, but even at that, the restrictions and the guidelines, the ratios are much tighter than they used to be back in the day. So yeah. It's a much safer environment.
3: Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think one of the things we've talked about before on the podcast, and I think Mark and I are in complete agreement, is about the inventory issue. Yeah. You know, you've had higher prices now for all the raw materials, mm-hmm. which is just now going to make the shortages even more. Yes. Because the affordability uh, of the of the new builds mm-hmm. is making the existing homes go up proportionally. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think we're at, and you would know this better than me, Matt, a nationwide, what, three-month supply, somewhere around that? Yeah.
1: It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It historically at double that. Mm-hmm. We are. Yeah. And I think you combine that with I think home builders are still kind of scarred from what happened in 07 and 08. So they're being a lot more conservative on the houses that they're building. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's going to even put more of a constraint on supply. And I think it's just simply boils down to the fact that it's a supply and demand issue. It is. And when you have too much money, T- chasing too few goods, you're going to have <laughs> rising prices, yes, right? Yes that's you just, will. that's just the mm-hmm. law of supply and demand, right? Correct. That's right. So I think that kind of answered our next question on the, you know, the financial strength of people obtaining loans, which is very different today than mm-hmm. it was back in 07 and 08. Um, you know, a- another question that I have is, you know, People complain about the length of time it takes to obtain a mortgage and the process, and you know you have to give an arm and a leg and maybe a kidney to get approved for a mortgage, mm-hmm. right? And obviously those restrictions uh, and roadblocks are there for a reason, correct? Um, but you know, is there anything in the pipeline from a technology standpoint that's going to help speed this process up, or I guess what can people? do in preparation for this to make it go as quickly as possible?
2: That's a good question. So a lot of those technologies are already in place. Um, people can verify their assets electronically digitally at the time of application. Um, everyone's pay stubs are online unless they work for a smaller company. So all of those things are accessible. They're all there. They're in place. The problem now is everybody's so busy. A lot of these electronic verifications it doesn't really save you that much time because there's such a backlog of applications and people trying to purchase a home or refinance their current home. So the systems are in place. And if it calms down a little bit, you'll start to see those turn times kind of speed up, mm-hmm. but it, it just, it is what it is. Everyone's just, just busy. They're swamped. Right. Um, but the verifications process, it, it truly is there for a reason. Um, I don't think, I don't think the average consumer realizes that those verifications are there for their protection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, my team and I, we try to do whatever we can to scrub things up front on the front end. And there are some cases where someone may be qualified to purchase a home now, but through fur- further conversation or after verifying their information, purchasing a home isn't in their best interest at the time. Right. If you're going to purchase a home and after the closing be left with $100 in your bank account, it's not the right time. So. I think it also falls on the individual loan officer and companies that originate loans to also control that as well and, and <laughs> make sure they're doing what is best for the customer. Um, but the, the home buying process, it could be smooth, it could be smoother, but just prepare up front. Right. Don't complain. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like anything, it's just it's
1: a complicated process, right? It's not just, you know, sign on the dotted line or else unless people want to go through 06, 07, 08 again. We'll be right
2: back there again.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, and it is hard to, you know, tell yourself that because I just went through this process with you not Mm -hmm. too long ago. And it's just like, all right, there's a reason why (laughs) Matt and all these other people need all of this information. And it's for a good reason. But Mm -hmm. Obviously, in the market that we're in, I think it frustrates people because they're like, "Hey, I want to like jump on this like right now, like I don't have time to wait, but yeah, you know it is what it is
2: yeah it it's it's the way it is with anything uh instant gratification mm-hmm. it's not like a car, you don't show up that day and drive off the lot with it yeah, right. it's it's a waiting period. there are a lot more things that come into play when when in real in the real estate industry,
1: yeah, for sure,
3: but
2: yeah it's worth the wait.
3: You know, the next question I have, Matt, is what's your opinion on how large most people's Dow payment should be? I know it's a case-by-case basis, but generally, can you discuss some of the pros and the cons of putting too much down versus not putting
2: enough down? Yes, that's a very good question. So a majority of home purchasers utilize conventional financing. And the old mindset is that if you're purchasing with conventional financing, you have to put down 20%. Um, a lot of people just think that because that's what their parents told them. That's what they had to do when they purchased their first
1: home. And can you just briefly just describe personal or uh, conventional financing for people that might not understand what so, that term is? Yeah.
2: So your major, well, I'll go over the major categories of mortgages. You have conventional financing. You have FHA, USDA, and VA. VA are obviously for your service members, your veterans, and, and, and those. USDA are for rural areas and are address specific. FHA is the Federal Housing Administration. Smaller down payments, you can push the ratios a little bit higher with those, and the credit score requirements aren't as stringent as conventional. Conventional are more, I'm just gonna say clean, but higher tier. Your credit has to be higher. Your debt to income ratios have to be lower. Typically requires more money down. Um, That's what that is, Okay. yeah. All our government endorsed money, and that's every Mm -hmm. loan right now. Right. But that's the difference. So okay. conventional financing is just for cleaner credit. Typically if you have over a seven hundred, that's gonna be the first place a lender's gonna look for you as conventional.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it a, a misconception, Matt, that FHA is only for first time home buyers? Is that true or false?
2: It is not for first time home buyers. Okay. Yes. Okay. It is for people that wanna put down less money and maybe push the budget a little bit higher than what the spreadsheet says they should. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. hmm Okay.
1: And that and back to the, the down payment thing, it's just like, you know Do you want to have a lower monthly payment? Or, you know, obviously, if you don't have 20% in the state of Ohio equity in the home, then you're paying PMI. And I know people are like, I don't want to pay money that I don't have to. Yeah. But again, you know, for a home that's, let's say, you know, $400,000, 20% isn't chump change to put down, right?
2: It's not. And in a market like this, it's really not necessary to put down 20% to achieve the monthly payment that you're trying to get. Um, With every thousand dollars only lowering your payment by between four and five dollars a month do the math your money is better served with you guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) um we have that conversation a lot yeah Mm -hmm. yeah we really do and the misconception around PMI is that you have to put down 20 percent to avoid that monthly payment where there are multiple options you can do with PMI putting down as little as three percent on a conventional loan you can eliminate that additional monthly spend on the PMI by taking another route with that so that is a question I answer quite a few times every week Mm-hmm. Most of my conventional buyers come to me. I'm putting 20% down. I'm putting 40% down at the closing table. They end up putting down 5%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> after you educate them. Yeah. After after speaking with them and giving them their options. So there are plenty of options. You do not. You don't have to pay an arm and a leg um, to purchase a home right now. And if you utilize other programs, there are assistance programs for first-time home buyers, second-time home buyers, ten-time home buyers. Mm-hmm. So there are still those programs. They're just not as widespread as they used to be back in the early to mid 2000s. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. And then what are kind of some of just like the basic qualifications people need to meet to be considered for a mortgage? And kind of as a follow-up to that, what can people do to prepare for getting a mortgage if they're going to be a first-time home buyer? Because I know it's not just like, okay, uh, I just got married. I'm two years removed from college and I want to buy a house. It's Mm -hmm. like there's much more that you need to do to prepare to go into that. So what can people do before to prepare themselves? I would say they have to they have to be realistic about their budget and
2: what they want to spend. A lot of these people are coming from a rental situation. Mm-hmm. And in the market now, they're actually looking to pay less than what they pay in their, with their current rent. So know what you want to spend and speak with, and speak with a loan officer. Mm-hmm. Um, have your credit pulled. It's not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a necessary evil. You have to have your credit pulled if you want to see what you're approved for. But speak with a loan officer. Find out what you're approved for. See what the payment you're trying to achieve. What does that look like? as far as a purchase price in your specific area, which is important, which is also why you wanna work with a local loan officer because they know the area, they know the prices, they know the taxes in your area. Um, And have a little bit of stability. Purchasing a home is different than renting. You have to have a little bit of money set aside. When that water heater breaks, you have to be able to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Insurance doesn't cover everything. So I think just sitting down with a professional and discussing all of the pros and the cons of purchasing a home is something you have to do right away before you talk to a realtor um, and start looking at homes. Just know financially how you stand. Know if your credit's in a good place right now, and if there's some improvements that need to be made in that aspect as well. So
1: yeah, and I think that's one of the big things that a lot of people don't understand is that you know when you go to apply for a mortgage, you know your credit's going to get pulled and be like, okay, mm-hmm. does this person pay their bills on time you know Mm -hmm. can they pay their credit cards off but if a person doesn't have a lot of credit it's hard to do right and then you're you're the bank and you're like hey you know how much risk are we willing to take on this Mm -hmm. person that doesn't have a lot of credit history so that's what is shocking to me a lot where it's like someone comes and they're like, yeah, I don't even have a credit card. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's good to build up that credit history for years prior to you applying for a mortgage so that you can prove, Hey, I mm-hmm. pay my bills on time and I'm financially, I'm in a good spot. Yes.
2: And and there are programs where you can use alternate trade lines. There are some people that just don't want credit or just haven't had the opportunity yet to open credit. So having other stable forms of payment, such as rent or utilities and Netflix account, cell mm-hmm. phone bill insurance, there are other ways to verify that someone is responsible with their with their monthly obligations Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
3: okay Um, one of the next questions we have matt that mark and i talked about and i think there's a lot of people that just don't fully understand this is can you explain the differences between um the following types of loans and give some examples as why people would choose one over another so an example would be fixed rate mortgages arms adjustable rate mortgages you know, how often the interest rates change every month, every year. And the other thing you might hear about sometimes is a hybrid arm. So can you kind of walk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So the most commonly used program is the fixed rate mortgage. It's the safest. It's not going to change. The only thing that's going to adjust your payment of property taxes and insurance.
3: Very predictable. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Very easy. Um, Normally there's a a bigger difference in interest rate between a fixed mortgage and an adjustable. An adjustable, the, the client is taking on more risk because that that payment will change after a fixed portion of time. And that depends on what you take out. Do you take out a 2-1, which is going to stay fixed for two years and then adjust every year after that? Mm -hmm. Or you can do a 3-1 or a 5-1. But typically with an adjustable, your initial interest rate is lower than a traditional fixed would be. So the pro would be during that fixed period, your payment's a little bit lower. But right now, interest rates in general are so low It doesn't make sense to take on the 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 additional risk of of an adjustable rate mortgage, an ARM. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, just go for the fixed. Adjustables are typically for investors or someone that doesn't want to hold a property for that long. That was my follow up. That's what. Where do you see it utilized? That's what they'll be used for. Um, if someone's going to keep a rental long term, they're going to take out a fixed rate mortgage. If someone's going to flip a property, first off, they're not coming to me for the loan, but they're mm-hmm. going to take an adjustable. It'll be fixed for a six month period or so. Then it's going to adjust every single month. And when I say adjust, it means it's going to go up.
1: Right. Yeah. But
2: yeah. We're in a rising rate market. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking on an adjustable, it just wouldn't make sense right now at this time. Now you have people that took out adjustable rate mortgages back in the early 2000s they're actually reaping the benefits of this interest rate market because rates have gone down consistently. But if you do that now, you'd be kicking yourself here in the next couple of years. Right.
3: Matt, what's your flexibility from a fixed rate standpoint with terms? I mean, you usually see the quotes of what a 15-year is and Mm -hmm. what a 30-year is. Now, would you clear up any sort of misconceptions? Are you stuck with just those two terms?
2: No. You can go as short as a 10-year. You can do 10, 15, 20, 25, or 30. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't. So I, I knew that you yep. could had some flexibility there, but ten's the
3: shortest.
1: Yes. Got it. Mm-hmm. And the for the adjustable rate mortgages, you know, once it's that flip switches from being fixed to the rate changes, is that every month, every quarter, every year, or is it kind of depends it on the loan? Depends on the loan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's not just you know it changes every month mm-hmm. or every year. No, but okay. it
3: it
2: depends on which program you're
3: you're put in. Okay. I got one real quick that just came to mind, Matt. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of clients that as they retire, they want to explore having second properties, Mm -hmm. okay? In general, you can kind of go with that where you want, but that topic comes up a lot. And what do you see as the financing process through someone like yourself different from a primary residence? You have to be able to afford both properties. That's yeah. the first. First and foremost, <laughs> yeah. you have to stay within that debt to income ratio that,
2: mm-hmm. that you have for the industry, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Okay. You have to do that. You also have to verify six months reserves for both properties. For, you have, for both properties. Mm-hmm. You have to show that you can afford, if a rainy day happens, can you afford to make the payments on both of these properties for an extended period of wow. time? Wow. Okay. Didn't buying know that. A, buying Didn't a second that. home, yeah. buying an investment property, you do have to have reserves in hand.
3: I know historically, I always kind of told clients that you're also going to need um, a significant down payment, about at least twenty percent. Is that a is still
2: a good rule of thumb? That's a good rule of thumb. Uh, you can do as little as fifteen percent. Okay. Uh, for some investment properties, you can also do as little as ten percent for some second homes. So, but if you tell people twenty percent, that's you're still in a good. Yeah, we're still in a good area. You're safe. Mm-hmm. Now, are the rates any different? for a second property than your primary they're just a touch higher You're usually going to see a difference of an eighth to a quarter difference very marginal yeah yeah very marginal Mm -hmm. and you still have those different terms available Mm -hmm. okay just curious
3: because as you could imagine with just demographics right now in society you know the older demographic is as they get older Mm -hmm. they want to have that at home in a a warm place in the winter time yep and you're seeing more and more of that i think yes
1: most definitely And to piggyback off of that, you know, I'm sure you know this better than anybody, but everyone's been scrambling to refinance over the past year or two, right? You know, what is that process like? And what do people need to be prepared for in terms of costs? Because I think people are just like, hey, I'm going to refinance at a lower rate. But a lot of people don't think, well, there's also closing costs associated Mm -hmm. with this, and you have to stay in the home long enough to recoup those to make it worth it, correct? Mm -hmm. So that's
2: another thing. Back in the early 2000s, you could refinance and nobody looked at, was it a true benefit? People refinancing to pull $2,000 out or just refinancing just to skip a payment or two. You can't do that anymore. Um, you have to recuperate your, your closing costs within the first two to three years. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, then I just can't write the loan. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a true net benefit to the client. Um, the closing costs on a refinance are very similar to on a pr- what they are in a purchase. The title company still has to do their work. The home will still have to be appraised in some cases. Um, the lender still has to be compensated for processing and underwriting the file if that applies there. So the only difference with a refinance versus a purchase is a refinance, you're allowed to finance those costs into the transaction on a purchase that has to be paid out of pocket, either by the buyer or the seller. Okay. So okay. those are the differences. So when you refinance, typically you're not bringing cash to the closing, but those costs are still involved. They're just being financed into the loan.
3: Over that length of the term or whatever Correct. it is. Mm-hmm. Another follow-up I have, Matt, is you know, thinking of home prices going up. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to our listeners and viewers what a jumbo is and how is that different from a, from a, a traditional mortgage? There's a certain price point where the mortgage mm-hmm. goes into, to a different category. Can you just describe the language that's used and
2: how they work? Yeah. So you have Fannie, and Fannie, Ma- Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are your conventional government entities. If a loan amount is outside of their realm, it's still conventional financing, but it will be considered jumbo. And that varies per area. It varies per county. So if you're, we can use Oakwood, for example. Sure. Um, Whereas Fannie Mae may have a loan amount, um, which is getting rated increase here January 1st, let's say to 650,000. That much money can be insured by Fannie and Freddie. Anything above that will be considered a jumbo loan. So it's still going to go conventional, but it just won't be
1: Fannie or Freddie, Mm -hmm. which tends to have just a little bit of a higher rate. Correct. Mm -hmm. Which always kind of confused me a little bit, Matt, because I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, the people that can afford a more expensive house theoretically should have better credit or the Mm -hmm. better ability to be able to maintain those monthly mortgage payments. So why is that rate higher? I would think that it should be lower. Correct.
2: And most people would think that too. But if someone's borrowing that much money, that's a big risk. For the bank. let's say that house were to go into foreclosure, that's going to sting a little bit more than the one hundred and fifty thousand dollars right right home right. that was purchased. So okay. that's more risk, higher interest rate. Now, for your clients, like on the east or west coast, or higher
3: value zip codes like Indian mm-hmm. Hill in Cincinnati, et cetera, you know how do they deal with that? Do they just know that they're okay? I am going to be in a jumbo mm-hmm. rate; and it's just the way it is. And do you think the government at any point is going to start reevaluating? that anytime soon.
2: I don't. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a substantial jump in FHA loan limits and conventional loan limits coming up January of 22. Okay. So I think with that, that's, it's the largest jump they've ever had, um, in a year to year basis. So I think they are adjusting a little bit because of the market we're in right now, but I don't see anything
1: substantially going up past that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate that. So and that's all based on county. So like mm-hmm. a jumbo loan for Oakwood, let's say it's, you know, six hundred and fifty thousand out in California. It's probably a lot higher than that. Much right? higher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Because that's always the, you know, the cost of living. You have to factor into it because obviously five hundred thousand dollars in Dayton goes a lot longer in Dayton mm-hmm. than it does out in California.
2: Well, for example, the loan limit increased for FHA here in general, let's just say it's going to be 420,000 in Ohio, you go to St. Louis or you go to California, someplace in LA, that FHA loan limit might be a million dollars. Got it. A million for an FHA, which is typically, it typically is for a first time home buyer, but it just, goes to show that it, it does vary per area. Pretty, <laughs> there's a pretty, pretty big, dramatically. Yeah. 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 Very drastic.
3: Well, they normally say, you know, real estate's all about location,
2: mm-hmm. right?
3: Mm-hmm. And so the mortgage, industry, your industry follows to a certain extent. Yes. Yes, it does. Got
1: it. Yeah. Um, That's kind of all the prepared questions that we had, Matt. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? Just tips, tricks that people should be paying attention to? I think we're on the same page that you know prices can run hot for a lot longer than people think and Mm -hmm. that there's not going to be this massive crash like there was in 06 or 07. No.
2: And I would say this area, Dayton area, your smaller Midwestern uh, locales will... We'll see it even longer than other areas because there are a lot of people coming here because it is so much more affordable than other parts of the country. So because of the influx we have from, let's say, West Coasters and East Coasters coming here to good old Ohio, I think we're going to ride this roller coaster a little bit longer. It's just going to we're going to continue to climb. And Matt, I would agree with that. Think about all
3: the people that can now work from home that couldn't two years Mm -hmm. ago. You know, I'm seeing people that used to work in California that are now coming back to families. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'm going to start having my own family. I need some help. I Correct. can work anywhere, mm-hmm. and guess what? The home is half the cost there. Exactly, the cost of living is half, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the big blessings that we have living in in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Is you know, the cost of living is very attractive in comparison to a lot of those areas. It is. Mm-hmm. It
1: really is. Makes sense, though, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for coming on to chat everything mortgage related. We appreciate it. I know the listeners will appreciate it as well. This will be a hot one. um, Next week, we'll be back with part two of our housing series to discuss costs associated uh, with buying a home. So obviously like we or Matt alluded to, it's much more that you're paying than just the sticker price yes, of the home. Is. So you have to take yeah. into consideration the upkeep and everything else that comes with buying a more expensive home. Absolutely,
3: mm-hmm. as Matt said, it's not just you know that that note payment. You got to think about landscaping. You got to think about the appliances and mm-hmm. and the roof. And it just it's it's a lot deeper than um, than most people think who are currently renting. Right, you are the landlord.
1: Yeah, you, you are. are the landlord. <laughs> yeah, yep, you're the one fixing that, exactly. that, that plumbing or That's calling right. someone to do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, all right. Well, thanks for everyone uh, tuning in to episode number 128. We'll be back with you next week. Take care, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics and the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public.